technically true by tanay pan welcome to technically true a podcast about public speaking developer relations and technology i'm your host tanay today i'm joined by yan oberhauser hey yan hi thanks for having me here thanks for joining us so yan is the founder and ceo of nn a community backed workflow automation tool yan tell us a bit more about yourself uh yeah like i just mentioned i'm the ceo of nn before i started nn i worked actually for many years in the movie industry i did effects for movies meaning originally i was a compositor meaning i combined like the the computer generated images with the with the filmed images later i i transitioned in a transition in role of the pipeline entity meaning it was my job to make the life of the artists more efficient which meant i automated a lot of things for them and afterwards i started a startup that's called linkfish where they had very many similar issues with automating things and there uh, and later i then started nnn great and you launched nnn at the end of 2019 so what was that experience like and in which places did you share the product initially um i i launched at the end of of 2019 but i actually worked on it already part time for over one and a half years so like the launch was in the, the smallest part actually to be honest <laughs> um where i launched it i actually launched it in in june 2019 just an alternative shoot to alternative to encora just yeah. i want to get some inbound leads want to see how people like the product i didn't want to launch it too publicly for the reason i knew the products that had some bad bugs and issues and especially that very doc doc bad documentation and yeah uh, like if it's open source or fair code or whatever if a product has bad documentation it's simply very bad and so i wanted to improve that first So that's why I launched it there, and only then in October, 2019, I then launched it on on Product Hunt and Hacker News also, and then then really took off. But yeah, that was yeah super exciting. Yeah, it's great. Now, Anything is a product with a strong community around it. So I'm like curious, which avenues did most of the initial community come from? Yeah, that, like I mentioned, the, the very early people came alternative to Encora, mm-hmm. which was great. Like there were not obviously not too many people, but the people that found it. they were quite engaged they opened the first pull requests added some uh, help with the documentation wanted to to use and it and commercially so that i got some interest already there and the first community members found a product like that but then really product hunt and hacker news really brought probably 80 probably say more 90% of the initial community came really through these two channels so that's why they're really the top channels to launch any product at this both because they have such a big reach and really it's also an amazing community that can really help any kind of product very early on to to get that kind of traction right right makes sense and it's interesting cuz uh these days lots of startups go for real time tools like slack discord when talking about how does the community of a product interact with each other and with the company as well you decided to go with a forum approach of having discourse so why did you make that decision and the, the reason was very simple I worked on it and it and part time because I have a wife and 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 have two children and I had to have another job so I just had like a few days a week and weekends to work on it so I had to be very efficient with my time so if I would have chosen a tool like Slack I literally would have had no time anymore to to work on it because there's always people and asking things and they expect an answer very fast and also you you do you end up answering the same questions again and again and again because normally the people have the same questions and the same problems mm-hmm. and because it's not very easy to find answers again in slack what it mean like the search is simply not great it's simply not made for that like it's a real time yeah. communication tool 
So I thought, okay, like how can I be efficient and how can I make sure that I it can be very helpful for people, just answer things once and especially how can I avoid that I even have to, uh, to really interact with them and how can I at the same time get an answer fast? And that's where really this, this asynchronous tools like this course um, can be helpful because people go there, have a question, either they, they look for it, which is normally the fastest way to find an answer, find an answer. If they don't find it, then they ask a question. And then the big difference is also like, how fast do they expect an answer? If you're in Slack, you don't answer within five minutes. People get normally always kind of ang angry, like, why don't you answer my question? Right. If you're in this course and you answer within five hours, people are normally super happy, like, wow, how fast was that? So like you get have much less work in a much happier community. And so there was like a no brain at the end. Right. Yeah, makes sense. And in the early days of NATN, while you were building the community around the product, what were some of the challenges that you faced? Some of the challenges, yeah, was really the time <laughs> trying to, to be simply being able to help the community with, with the problems they had and still making progress with the product. I think that was really the hardest thing. Support is, is one thing that's very underrated and, and underestimated sometimes, like giving good support and helping people is not easy and it's super time intensive. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and being able to do that at the same time, still making progress, that was, I think, was the thing that was the hardest for me. Right. And I think uh, it's probably one of those things that paid off a lot because when we talk about NATN and something that comes up again and again in the community is like, oh, it's a really active community. Your questions will get answered and you will move forward with your projects. So uh, yeah. it's, it's great to see that paid off as well. Yeah, no, I think it paid off very well. But yeah, like it, it was harder than I initially expected, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, when we talk about early stage startups, We've been seeing, in a traditional sense, a lot of companies reached a certain stage of growth before building their DevRel org or their developer experience org. According to you, what would you say is a good time for early stage startups to focus on building a community around their products? I would normally say like as early as possible because like you don't get a community overnight. So you really have to invest quite some time. So the, the later you start, the longer it's going to take till you have some. They have a habit, especially have a good one. So I think if you if you start early there, think a little bit about it, go like do it strategically, like said, with the discourse instead of Slack and things like that. I think it really helps a lot. Like sometimes it doesn't even need a lot. Like I said, this discourse channel, if in the early times, the very beginning, it's not that much work because you don't have that many users because then you answer a few questions and they're happy. And this users then already help you later when you fully launch because they already they ask a lot of questions that people later gonna have, like it helps you there. They ask the first people that already can help to answer the questions the other people are gonna have then. So it's really gonna pay off. Like if you start slowly, like if you have a product that's get widely used and then you want to start to build a community, that's like you don't, they don't have anybody to look up to. Like you have one person, but you don't see how do other people behave there? What's the norm? Like, how does it work? So if you are, if people, that behave in a certain way that is much easier to do when you have five people than if you have a thousand. Right. So yeah, that's, I think that's really pays off because as says people come help, they are friendly and people also want to share very early on. So like they created first tutorials that you maybe don't have time for. They created in different languages. So it's like the earlier start, yeah, it's really 
totally worth it investing some time there already. Right. And something we have been talking about in the previous episodes as well is that at times several teams when working on communities, especially with early stage startups, face a split of focus when companies have an open source product and then a SaaS offering that's built on top of it. Now, the situation was mitigated by an attempt by having a fair code model. So can you maybe tell us a bit about fair code and how that influenced your approach to community building? Okay, a fair code, the idea behind fair code is very simple. Like the product, product can be used by everybody for totally free. But if you're going to commercialize it, if you want to earn money with it, then you have to pay. I chose that specifically because I wanted to avoid to have to go down the open core route, mm-hmm. meaning like it always felt like open core was felt for me like you have to make your product artificially worse to make money. You always have to take features away that you know people really want. But obviously, you have to take them away because you want to you have to make money somehow. Yeah. With the fair code approach, we don't have to do that meaning like everybody can get the best product there is totally for free with all the features. And that is great because like if we implement a new feature, we simply implement it. We don't have to worry about, is it free? Is it not going to be free? And that's, I think that's also helps a lot with the community there because they, they simply get an amazing product that they love and can use for free. And they don't have to worry about, ah, oh, now and now I really have to, to pay for that or, or why did it make it not free and, and then people are unhappy and say, ah, oh, that surely should be free because it's such an important feature. It's like not just enterprise people use it, also I use it. And I think that helped us a lot there. Like even if you look, if you look actually at our cloud offering, like the cloud offering is 100% the same code as you have in, on GitHub. Like we use actually, actually the 100% the same Docker images. Like it's the same Docker image you can run yourself is the one we have running in the cloud. The only difference is that we can make some things easier, like the OAuth um, the authentication because we can supply the ID and the secret. But apart from that, the product is really the same. And I think that like that people really, people really like, I think like that, that they don't feel like something is gonna be taken away from them. Right. And I guess it helps uh, align the community goals with the company goals so that uh, it's, it's a more symbiotic relationship. Yeah, exactly. Like people really like, like to like products. So they, they're not normally out to get you. But mm. you, sometimes very small decisions can have a very big impact. So you really have to be sometimes careful what you're doing. And especially like with this, the taking features away. By us not having to do that, that helps us a lot because people never have to feel betrayed there. Sure, like some people felt betrayed very early on because we are not OC approved open source. We are fair code licensed. But in the end, like I have been always very honest about that. Nobody can say, hey, you, you changed that. You, it was free and now it isn't anymore. Like it's still free and it's like it's still the same. But I think if, if people are OC approved open source and change away, that's always dangerous because you actually take something away. They, they right. feel betrayed and then stuff goes wrong. But I think if you're very honest very early on, then you, you have much more freedom and yeah, people stay much happier because they said you have to simply stay true to yourself. And that's what helped us there a lot. True, true. Makes sense. 
And um, in the early days of N A Ten, you mentioned you were working on the company values. So, do you feel that it's important to have these in place, or at least a rough version of it, before starting to build a community or a DevRel team? Having company values in place, at least rough ones, is always important if you build a company. I think the the most people don't probably write them down directly, <laughs> but normally I think they come automatically in from the founders themselves. The good and the bad things. I def and it doesn't doesn't make sense either to define some kind of random values that sound good if you cannot lift them. The the original values I chose they were fair, efficient, and community first. And the thing, because I lift them, I think they work. If you would have chosen, I don't know what now, but like if if I would say hey, I do X, but every day they do do Y, people don't follow that once and, and then and again like it, it you see it in the in the in your own employees that it doesn't work and then that bad behavior or that not, it's maybe a bad behavior but something you don't want to have also transfers to the community and like right. if people don't treat each other fair and nice internally in the company they're not going to do so in the community either it's going to get toxic in the office it's going to get toxic also in the community so really thinking early on what is important for you, what, do you, what, what kind of values do you have, that you don't have to write them down, but at least you have to think about how does a place, should, how should it look like where I want to work and what kind of community do I want to be part of and then try to embody that and then it normally comes naturally. So it's, as I said, it doesn't have to be, you have to, don't have to write them down, but simply think about where do you want to spend your time? And I think that's only helps you there a lot then. Makes sense. And I think it's, it's also useful for uh, community teams to sort of use the same values while governing a community or building a community. And like, I think transparency on that front helps a lot as well. Yeah, I think transparency is always, no matter where it's helpful. Like you can avoid very many problems because yeah, nobody feels left out or cheated or anything. And always be transparent if possible. And um, any last words of advice or wisdom for founders maybe looking to make their first DevRel hire? I think the most important thing, what, what we do a lot at, at NLN is we look for people that actually really care about the, the space and, and really understand and love the product. Mm -hmm. Because like if they're truly excited, they are, they are the people that take care of the community. And if they're not excited, how should the community ever be excited about your product? If you, if you didn't even find one person for that very important job, it, your community will never be either. So they really look for a person like that, that, that where they feel their passion from the outside because it simply trans translates to them also. So I think that's really the one, the most important thing, really look for people with passion. Cool. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you in the show. Thanks again for having me. It was also a question for me. And thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to Technically True, a podcast about public speaking, developer relations, and technology. Hosted and produced by Tanepant.